I'm day 15 of Dry July. Yeah, I embarked upon it, and when they announced the lockdown, I went, oh, really bad call. I must say, I am getting so much more done. I'm reading more at night. Because you're not falling asleep, you yeah. drunken bug. I didn't mind Greg Hunt mucking up the mask. I thought that was sort of quite cute. I would not put cute and Greg Hunt in the same sentence. The tiger ever. supporter, just saying. But I would rather set my hair on fire than try to recreate my financial life of the past 12 months. <laughs> You're going to have to. I just had a tanty. What would you do differently this time around? Wear a mask. Ed brings a lot to the table then because he was in the corona cabinet and there's things he can't say. We've been bluing for 25 years. It's going to continue. You know, that's just the way it is. But when you're at home, it's like watching mum and dad fight. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome back, everyone. It is episode 135 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And Corey Perkin, I say welcome back. Well... We didn't have a break. Miss Jane needed a break, and fair enough too. So when Miss Jane goes, there's no podcast. What does it say about you and I, Caro, that we can't talk without Miss Jane? Well, we've become... We can talk, but we just can't put the electronics... become disturbingly dependent on her. She's had a well-deserved break. Well, not a great week to take a break. A few people I know did last week, only to find midway through that um, short holiday that... Victoria, or, or certainly most of Metro, all of metropolitan Melbourne and the Mitchell Shire, has been locked down. We're going to talk about that, Corrie. We're going to talk about what we've been doing, what was the first thing we did, what we're thinking about what may happen if it could get worse. On a lighter note, I've asked you, and I've also um, followed suit to list your best five of all time British cop shows. I'm really looking forward to that because how excited were we when Vera was back on last weekend? Well, one good thing, Caro, to come out of lockdown number two was the fact that Vera was on on Sunday. <laughs> yes, Pat. I, have a I, cup of tea, Pat. I have seen you. We had a, a social distance walk last week, which was absolutely lovely. We had we, two. Did we? Yes, yeah. we had an evening one and then we had a morning one. Oh, that one. beautiful one when we basically, you know, scoured the bay, Port Phillip Bay. It was absolutely beautiful. Thank you to Joanna from Washington who is in D.C. and loves listening to the podcast. One of her sisters, Margaret Gleeson, who's 27, recommended the show. Thank you, Margaret. She plays footy in the USAFL with the Washington, D.C. Eagles. Who knew, Corrie? Looking forward to the 2020 season, although no plans to return yet. Um, she is... She finds it a really good way to get her Melbourne fix, including news of um, the Paran market, walks to the MCG, the Yarra River. So that's lovely, Joanna. Thanks also to Joanne Van Homry via Facebook, thinking of us both during what is a difficult time and um, hopes that we're all coping. And thank you to Jane Louise Brearley and um, to Lesty17 via Instagram. Some lovely messages, Corrie. Lesty said, I'm so looking forward to your po- I so look forward to your podcast each week. Always great conversation with a guaranteed laugh, which is exactly what is needed at the moment. Caro, I can tell you there's not a lot of laughing happening at the moment. No, it was sort but of. I will try for the podcast. It was sort of like. Um, it, it was really flat, wasn't it? It wasn't like the first time. It was, it was sort of a bit of fear tinged with a bit of um, panic, tinged with a bit of 
just oh, boredom, I hate to say, you know, sounding really spoilt and selfish. Yeah, it's no, not a good time. Not a good time. But look, we have a great show for everybody today. And, and the we'll challenges go on, Corrie. Miss Jane's brought in some beautiful camellias, which can, uh, are one of the great winter joys. And you have been pursuing your July challenge. How's it I going? I have. Um, so I, uh, as I said to everybody, which I think is a, is, is, quite commonly shared amongst us all, those of us who love books, the pile beside the bed. So my July challenge was to tackle at least three or four of the pile beside the bed. So the pile beside the bed could date back, in fact, indeed it does, about eight years, I think, of of books. But um, I chose probably the most recent, so I don't know whether it still qualifies, but it has been, a reading copy has been beside my bed for a few weeks now. It's the new Kate Grenville novel, A Room Made of Leaves. So many people would know Kate Grenville from her outstanding award-winning book of a few years ago, Secret River, and her special subject is often Australian history. And in A Room Made of Leaves, which is sensational, she recreates, imagines the life of Elizabeth MacArthur. She's doubled down, hasn't she, on the last wow. one? Of all the historic, so I gather, I haven't read it, but on, on all the historic um Criticism, she got last time, and it's sort of She's like just fake making news, it isn't up. it? She, she it's, it's Elizabeth's in the, diary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, she's she one of the great. She just makes it up, and it's great. But when you read Michelle Scott Tucker's companion book um, a couple of years ago, in fact, Miss Jane and I interviewed Michelle on the book pod. Do you remember that was so wonderful? Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, Michelle wrote an excellent, excellent biography of Elizabeth MacArthur. I highly recommend. It is, Carol, one of my favourite biographies of the last couple of years. And to have to read Michelle's work and then read Kate's, and they do complement each other so beautifully. This, this book by Kate Grenville is a ripper, and I've almost finished it, and so next week I'll have another one or two, hopefully, of books beside the bed to report on. So going well so far, what about you? Um, and, and I've got a cracker of a book recommended by you and Anna from the Op Shop that we'll talk about in BSF. Just quickly on Elizabeth MacArthur, what a disgrace that there is so little historical data, so few documented, so little documented evidence to tell us about her. Because, you know, John was obviously a very successful but clearly a bad egg. Or a, he was mad, Caro. Yeah, but, but, you know, incredibly successful and prosperous and, and really revolutionary in Australia. So I'm I'm glad that someone's had a... A fake cracker. She was, she was the one who started the merino industry in Australia. That's all we can say about her. Well, my July challenge was home improvements and um, a bookshelf is being erected at my house at the moment. You'll be happy to hear because I need to fit in all those books and I want a proper... How is my old friend Martin? <laughs> he's good. Martin, who can't and, come um, to my house because he's always at Carol's building something. Corrie, he's not Irish or no, Scottish. No, no, Doc Martin, I'm channeling. <laughs> For God's sake. Not Martin, you builder. He is a Brit. But do you think Martin, li- does Martin the, listen to the podcast? You've got the wrong part. And I'm also dealing with a very disturbing and many years old leak coming into our sitting room, which is very annoying. And I've bought a new rug. So I'm worried about home- your leaks. You have leaks everywhere. You have leaks no, in your bedroom? No. Did no, we you? don't. In no. the other house? No. Well, in our old, in, in the family home before we downsized. Yeah, we did. We did. But that was during a no, the terrible current, storm. No, the current family home. No. No, no, no. I thought you had a leaking issue. No, it's um, it's downstairs. Oh, anyway, okay. anyway, but we're, I'm dealing with that. So I'm dealing with a lot of home improvements and um, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And let's face it, we've got a lot of time to get going. But in the meantime, Corrie, last Tuesday, we received the news 
um, just after we'd recorded, no, we hadn't recorded a podcast last week, sorry, we'd done one the week before. I think I'd been with my um, friend Virginia at the market talking about how we're sort of feeling a bit, a feeling of dread and sure enough, a few hours later, it all happened. What was the first thing you did when you heard the news? Carol, it was like the the men landing on the moon in your local suburban appliances shop. You know, we've always seen those pictures of people outside black and white television shops watching man landing <laughs> on the moon. Well, I had I had a, a, the Daniel Andrews live press conference on the screen at the shop. In fact, the point of sale, dare I say, because there was not a lot of sale happening. <laughs> and people were gathering around listening. It was a momentous moment. And the, so oh. there was not a lot of joy amongst the people in the shop. Can I just stress there were only three or four because we're not allowing more than five at the time. But it felt like a, it, felt like it was just a, um, a community of sadness. So I, um, I gathered myself up, finished the day, went home, um, redid the rosters, because, you know, it just affects your small business so significantly overnight and uh, just started to plan for the next week ahead, which would be hitting the road with home deliveries again, which we don't mind jumping in the car, but it does require a complete change of your staffing, who has a car, who doesn't, who can do it. Um, my feeling of depression, oh, and then I rang around the family and, of course, everybody was in a different state of flux. <laughs> I rang the beauty parlour. <laughs> You're very hardworking and altruistic. I mean, it doesn't still make sense to me that you can get a blow wave but you can't get a leg wave. Wait wait you have your own small business, Carol. You won't be ringing the beauty parlour <laughs> Well, first, you know, these things you? are important, Corrie, and they were very happy to hear from me and said I had 24 hours to get thee to a <laughs> beauty parlour, which I did. I also went to the butcher, but I didn't panic buy. And did I ring? No, I'm not sure. I, I probably spoke to the family at some point. Well, my issue, of course, is my family, some of my family live outside the lockdown area. Well, I've got one in Amsterdam. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I know that. But I mean in Melbourne. Like I have them in Ballarat. So Yes, which so is so kind of you're working out, can you go, can you not? Of course you're not. So that's six weeks, you know, won't see them. I, like it's just. You are allowed to visit someone in your capacity. Uh, yeah, and you can for caring and so on. But, but they probably but, don't want your Melbourne germs. No, well, as Miss Jane and I were talking, you know, because Jane um, is a Ballarat girl as well. We were just talking before you came in this morning about imagine being the person who took the coronavirus to Ballarat or anywhere in regional Victoria. Yeah. You know, apart from the fact you'd never forgive yourself, you wouldn't get out of town alive. You'd be shot. No. Strung up. No, I did. I did also go to Specsavers because I had broken glasses the last Jesus, time. You had, you, honestly, well, the minutiae. Well, well, it's what important about, to be about, able to read during what about lockdown, Corrie. Getting sick or you no? Know, well, Specsavers closed down last time, and I had these two pairs of broken glasses in the back seat of my car, and I've been living on these sort of. Point two point something chemist ones for three months, and I thought I am not going to go through another. So I went there and they fixed them both. And while they were doing it, I went to the butcher. So I sort of I didn't go, even though a few people said they were. I didn't go to Dan Murphy's. I don't know. <laughs> can I can I bring us back to just the real world though? Real problems, real issues. So when you own your small business and you're facing uh, lockdown mark two and possibly even stage four restrictions, who knows where that's going? And you're in the middle of buying for Christmas. Right? So you're buying books for October, November. Mm, the dilemma. Do so, you do a big order or a small order? Well, I'm, I'm seeing reps at the moment from about eight different publishing houses, each selling because it's the biggest month, October. It takes about, um, you know, two or three hours to get through. And you suddenly have to decide, am I going to spend the eight or $10,000 per publisher? So that's like $100,000 you might spend on books. 
or do you slash it by two to 3,000, which completely diminishes your holding in the shop? So how your stock is just, there's nothing there. Your publishers are screaming because every other bookshop in Australia or Melbourne certainly is doing the same thing. The, the, the authors out there are wondering, am I going to be able to sell my new book when I release it in October? Who's going to buy it? Are people going to be buying presents yes. at Christmas? You know, my adv- I gave you this advice last week. Oh, because you're such a good small business person. Think big. No, but, well, don't ask me then. Think I've, big. But, uh, well, think yes, big, because but people are going to want to read big books. big and go under. Think people are going to want to read books. Potties, can you tell me if you were if we were still in lockdown at Christmas, would you be giving Christmas gifts and would you be giving books? I just need to know for my of course sales figures. A book is not a luxury Projection. item; it's a necessity. And I know that you know for some people they're expensive at the moment, but they are so worth it. Think <sighs> big, Corrie. Now, what would you do differently this time around? Wear a mask. I have already started wearing a mask. In fact, Lil yep. Lil from um, Perth, our dear friend, who sent those fabric ones over. The one she sent me received a little outing. I took it on an outing last week, my first mask wearing, but I have now ones from the chemist. Um, I'm only going to do food shopping or supermarket shopping very early in the day, Caro. I do find I get a bit stressed in the middle of the day when it's full of people. Yes. And I would suggest people choose different times of the day. A lot of supermarkets are open till 8pm, go at 7.30 at night. Good idea. Oh, gee. Is there anything more depressing than a supermarket at 7.30 at night, though? I reckon. What, well, really, the emergency ward. If you have coronavirus, you know, I know. I, I'm being, I'm being flippant. But early morning, I think is the go. Look, there's a bit of flippancy happening today, Potty. So please don't <laughs> jump on the, you know, woke bandwagon. I mean, if we say something that sounds terrible, like we needed to get our toes done first thing we thought of. <laughs> well, it's a big. It, look, you. No, I, look, I, look. I, I agree. I haven't had my toes done since March, so I'm it, with you there. It's it's like that. Um, Who's that brilliant British author we love? Oh, he wrote Saturday. Ian McEwan. Ian McEwan. In in that novel, which is one of my favourite ones of his, he talks about the problems of the world are so big and so horrendous and they they just – well, I don't think he said this, but this is the way I feel. They hurt your brain sometimes. The only way you can really cope is to cope with things within your own little circle. That doesn't mean be selfish. It doesn't mean not help people who are in more need than you are, which I'm hoping that I do in some way every week. But you've just got to keep things small. And if you can look down at some nicely painted toes for a few weeks, is that such a is that so wrong? And, and non-hairy legs. <laughs> Yeah, well, for, for the next three weeks, I'll be four weeks, I'll be right anyway. Um, other things I'm going to do, Kara, I'm going to exercise twice a day. So, you know, the other day you and I had a solo walk and then we met up in the evening and went down to the water. Yep. I'm going to continue doing exercise twice a day. I really urge people to yes. do it. Oh, yes, I, and funnily enough, I did the same. I did that yesterday, morning walk and evening walk. On this list I've compiled over the weekend, Caro, I did write the word drink less and then on Saturday night I drank nearly an entire bottle of Pinot by myself. <laughs> So, not sure about that. I'm day 15 of Dry July. Yeah, I embarked upon it. And when they announced the lockdown, I went, oh, really bad call. And then I thought, no, I must say, I am getting so much more done. So much more done. And I'm going to stick to it this time. Well, you just, when you don't. your brain's functioning. Now, when you don't embark on cocktail hour and have a drink, you actually just keep doing stuff. And you do stuff. I'm reading more at night. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I was being pretty. Because you're not falling asleep in yeah. a drunken fog. No, but when you have two glasses of wine, you do tend to fall asleep in front of the TV at about ten o'clock. Or I do, and I'm finding that when, um, when I do sit down to watch telly, I'm just 
I don't know, spending an extra hour. I can't explain it. I feel well, I feel a lot better. I'm certainly sleeping a lot better. So. You look a lot you look a lot better. Oh, bright thanks. eyed. What thanks. are you what are you going to be doing better in lockdown two? Um oh look, I certainly am have got this feeling that this is a time to try and deal with things you can get done. It, it, continuing on my theme of dealing with your own little sphere. I think it's really – I think the corona call is something I started doing last time and yeah, stopped doing. Friends. Just, you know, yeah. just set aside maybe every couple of days because there's well, no I'm... such thing as a short phone call, as we said. I'm going to really keep doing that. I'm going to read more. We, you know, my great regret is that we were off to see David Copperfield and then we decided not to go at the last minute. We thought, oh, we'll go next week and now we can't see it. So, you know, we can't go to the movies. So – that, that for me was two or three hours a week. I always went to a movie every week. And I'm not just going to binge watch things on TV, although there was some great stuff and we'll talk about it soon. But I just think this is a time to be able to – this will end. And I want to be look around at my own little environment and say I really improve things, mm. whether that is um, physical fitness Except or – Except I didn't help my friend Corey who is dealing, now going to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> with the linen cupboard. I don't know. No, you've just got to buy lots of books because everyone will be reading at Christmas and buying lots think, of books. Yep, um, they will. Uh, the, uh, the, the corona call is really important, Cara. I remember last time, I, I can't remember whether I said it on the GLT or on this pod, but um, I, went, I was going through my favourites and, and, and trying to touch base with all the friends on my favourites, people often you haven't spoken to for weeks and weeks, and trying to call them each time I had a spare half hour. And I've, I continued that when lockdown stopped. So I'm quite happy with the way that's going. If you are on my favourites and I haven't called you, I'm suddenly thinking, oh, God, they might be. Yeah, oh, well, obviously, I'm, sorry, obviously I'm not one of her favourites. <laughs> Someone listening is thinking. The other thing that's happening this time that wasn't happening last time is that spring is – it's tangible. We've had the shortest day of the year. Um, we're halfway through winter. and Miss Jane's brought in a lovely pre-spring posy today well, for our and so And so if you do have some pots outside or even a garden, or it, now's the time to work on it. And, um, oh, boy, Jane, have I got some good things to discuss with you later on next in the week in our GLT segment. I love the way I'm suddenly the non-gardening person out of the threesome. Miss Jane's a gardening. She runs a gardening you, show. I was gardening when you two were in short pants. Yeah, I, no, but, she, no, she's our expert gardener. Come on. Well, you could on. have said I've got great things to discuss with you two. Oh, and Corey. Now, Carol, the, the um, premiers, in particular Gladys and Dan, and um, Scotty from marketing, our um, our going to the football prime minister was that a good call, bad call? Not sure. But how do you think the two premiers in particular are going? Because a couple of weeks ago it was Dan the man could do no harm, and Gladys was uh, particularly with her constituents in New South Wales. They were all a bit grim about her behaviour, Ruby Princess, health department issues, all of that. And it's just like the tide has completely turned. Yeah, no, Dan's had a, a tough few, really, really tough few weeks. I mean, look, he fronts up every day in the North Face. Um, he's um, he's had a really tough week. The quarantine situation is really going to hurt him. There's absolutely no doubt about that because it doesn't matter whose fault it was. I think people have been very critical of the fact that he sort of shelved it to a independent inquiry, rightly or wrongly. And so there's criticism about that because people want to know what went wrong now. It was clearly a monumental stuff up, whoever's fault it was. And they're in a situation now where you can't, you can't sort of sack people because everybody's so entrenched in their roles. Even if they made a blue, it just seems wrong to get rid of them. Gladys, um, 
I completely agree I, with you there. I feel that Gladys is on the precipice because, you know, as we sit here today, things are starting to look bad in New South Wales. And I hate to say it, but you would think politically that will be good for Victoria if it spreads around Australia, unless they continue to do what Gladys did yesterday, and that's blame it on Victoria, which I'm like, Gladys, come on. They weren't all at that Cross Keys Hotel or whatever it's called. You know, that, that Crossroads. She, what did she say? There's someone. There's, <laughs> Wasn't the Cross Keys Hotel where <laughs> Mad, Mad Lake used to sing in yeah, the 70s? I, I reckon I saw mental as anything there once. Anyway, no, I just... I found that really strange that someone said, oh, but there was a couple of Melbourne. We know that travellers have been at that hotel. Well, travellers go to every hotel, Gladys. Come on. That was a bit rough to blame the Victorians. It looks like, and I'm I'm watching it through an AFL lens, it's just moving north. So as the AFL is trying to escape it by moving north, they'll be all out of New South Wales in a couple of weeks. It's the opposite, my words. It's the opposite of the cane toad, isn't it? Yep, exactly. It's going. Uh, the grand final at this stage could be played in Darwin the way we're going anyway. So I remember once doing, oh, completely off topic, I remember once doing a story for The Age on accents uh, according to different states. If, you, if you're from Queensland, you speak in a different way to someone from Victoria or whatever. And the what most, about Adelaide? And the mo- well, the most prevalent. We love most Adelaide. Prevalent, but we love Adelaide. But the most prevalent uh, linguistic trend was the Adelaide accent, which I can't do. But our friend um, Jane and uh, Jane Lamerton, who's been on the shop before, she can do it brilliantly because she's in Adelaide, formerly an Adelaide girl. But apparently, according to the linguistics at, Mono- at professors at Monash University, the biggest spread was the Adelaide accent. And one of them, I remember quoting her saying, Oh, what, like a virus. It's spreading like the cane toad across the border to Victoria. <laughs> I don't know why I feared that, but I thought, gosh, that's interesting. Isn't and there's, it? Another, there's another South Australian accent that is what a lot of footy people have it, particularly those hailing from clubs like Norwood and Glenelg, which are very different, I know. It's interesting. You, If you listen to some of them, it is Graham Corns has got it. It is really, really interesting. Can you take it off? No. You don't have such a good ear, No, I'm bad you? at accents. Oh, um, look, I'm bad too, but I think I'm good. <laughs> no. You sound, sometimes when you're doing Italian, you sound Indian, which is a bit <laughs> like me too. <laughs> we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to culturally appropriate. Caro, there's, um, again, completely do, off topic. Do you Let's think Scott Morrison rubbish. should have gone to the footy, by the way? I mean, I, I wasn't as outraged as some people, but it did, it was a bit strange. It's all about the optics, Caro. Yeah, it was a bit strange. If you're a leader, you're not doing stuff like that at the moment. No, especially not wearing a mask, although he would have, in a mask, made Maybe he would have been bagged even more. Look, it's really difficult to know. See, I didn't mind Greg Hunt mucking up the mask. I thought that was sort of quite cute. That was probably there is nothing a good cute thing about, about Greg Hunt. <laughs> I would not put cute and Greg Hunt in the same sentence. It's a tiger ever. supporter, just saying. No, I, I thought it was, I mean, it was good because. It's all yours, honey. No, but that happened to me when I first put on a mask too. I didn't mind that. I thought it sort of made him a bit human. I thought that was okay. Um, we've, you've mentioned shopping, Corrie, in the time of Corona. Yes. And I'm wondering whether you – we've talked about trends many times. Um, did, did we read that Easter 2020 was the busiest period ever in Australian online shopping history? We did read that, Caro. Uh, this was a document that uh, Australia Post put, put out for retailers um, and other subscribers. It is one of the most interesting um, pieces of information. I can't understand, actually, that none of the major – Newspapers have picked up on this. Um, maybe it's just a private uh, subscriber thing. I don't know. But key insights from the 2020 e-commerce update. 200,000 plus new households shopped online in April 2020 in Australia. 200,000. 
Um, when we do a breakdown of where the areas leapt, not in terms of number, but in terms of percentage, so in other words, in this suburb, this percentage of people used to do online to up. Point Lonsdale in Victoria, Caro. Really? Had the highest leap. And they're still not locked down. Lucky Point online, Lonsdale. <laughs> online users. So they all obviously people fled down there to their second homes and they started shopping online. It's interesting, isn't it? No pub in Point Lonsdale. Do you think there's a link there? Mm, there's a very nice wine bar, though, where yeah. you can buy it nice That's right, there wine. is too. Um, Easter 2020 was the busiest period in Australian online shopping history, which probably makes sense because we didn't I think do I just shopping. I think I just said that. Oh, did you? I'm sorry. I wasn't <laughs> listening to you. E-commerce growth up 80% in the eight weeks following the World Health Organization's um, comments, uh, announcement about corona. So very interesting. I'm not sure. There's lots of... Um, what are they buying? Well, they're buy- well, we've talked about this before, Cara, but they started off by buying, you know, weird stuff like toilet paper and so on, but um, going to chemist shops and stocking up on their prescriptions, stocking up on vitamins, all of that sort of stuff. And then it went into a softer area, what we would call leisure wear, <laughs> fashion leisure wear took off. Um, Still gar- haven't found the supplies. perfect pair of leisure pants. Oh, Still I did. They found arrived. Them. I'm going to mention them in my on- on- online shopping later. Um so uh, and then and and then obviously um, stuff for to do at home like gardening um, products and all that kind of thing and then we went into activities at home so jigsaw puzzles books um, one consistent across the whole twelve um, week period was grog yeah not surprising <laughs> liquor liquor sales through the roof so yeah it's it's just um it's just been a very tough time lots of interesting ideas though coming from not only locally but internationally um for example i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about because it's summer at the moment in paris and of course the tourists are not there so what the um the local um paris uh municipality or the, I don't know, mayor, I guess, what they decided to do was just bypass all sorts of legal obligations and paperwork and that sort of stuff and close down certain streets from traffic and allow the cafes and the restaurants to bring their chairs and tables outside. So they had a limit of the number of people who you could have inside. In order to help these businesses thrive and survive, you can now have the entire outside area. So apparently there are streets in Paris you walk down and it's just like an open, beautiful open market with social distancing, which I thought, wouldn't that be a great thing to do in Melbourne? And then I realised, yep, 11 degrees on a winter's evening. But I thought that was a really enlightening idea. It's been nice and sunny though. No, it is. It's a great idea. It's a really good idea to sort of say. And, And I just love the fact that they cut through the red tape, you know, because it could have taken years for those those permissions to be granted. But no, nope, let's just make it happen. Um, so your latest online purchase, is it the leisure pants? Yes, I bought leisure pants. For, I found them on the Iconic website. They've arrived, Caro, because you know how I was after a soft jersey. I didn't want tracksuit fabric. I wanted nice soft pants. And I have been looking, as you know, for about five weeks. I finally found them. They have arrived. They are beautiful. They are a, a, a mal grey colour, I suppose. The only problem is <laughs> that they have the word Roxy on the pocket. Oh, really? But is it is it hidden? Like, is it if you wore a long well, jumper, my, well, it doesn't my, matter? Well, as my friend and colleague in the shop, Deb, said, oh, you know, if you just wore a long top, you wouldn't see Roxy. And I said, but I don't want to be just confined to <laughs> So then I decided I had to try and pick it off somehow, which... Oh, is, no, that, would, that could wreck them. Which is fraught. 
I'm a bit sad, but anyway, they are beautiful. And then I found a um, a twenty dollar pair from um, uh, is it the not the Top Shop? What's the other one called? Cotton On. Oh yeah, they've yeah they do have some good stuff. Yeah, so that's um that's what I've been up to. What's your online purchase? Well, I'm trying to remember the pronunciation again. Remember, I did the recipe the other day of the lamb shank soup. Um, the Grizzlewitz, you know, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Please get their poor name right. It, was a, it, it, it is a shop in Carlton. It used to be in Hawkesburn. Anyway, they make these fabulous jars. This is how boring my life is at the moment. They're, they're, they're just beautiful, clear, big jars, but not like once you put jam in, but a bit bigger than jam jars with red sealable lids. And I ordered a set of them. I know, it's a bit boring. You've got more tins, tins and jars than... Well, when you receive... I can't even think of an analogy. Corrie, I was going to say my mother's... My latest batch days. of quince jelly, well, this will be next autumn because my quinces are finished now, in my Grizzlewitz jar, you will not be scoffing. It's not called Grizzlewitz. <laughs> I'm going to find out the name before the end of the show. Caro, tell me about the AFL and the interstate hubs and the increasing number of players and families that are saying we just can't live like this any longer. Well... Actually, How do we feel about that? Now, the, the worms actually turned because most of them are there now and most of them left, you know, the, certainly the Victorian clubs left just before lockdown. So, you know, there's a lot, been a lot of comparison. Bit of insider trading there, Caro, do you reckon, oh, with the government? I, I, reckon, I reckon they've just been really good at staying ahead of the curve. And, you know, there's been a lot of comparisons between Gillan McLaughlin's performance and the NRL chairman's performance, Peter Volandi's ARL, I should say, rugby league. But um, staying ahead of the curve has been crucial to the survival of this season. And dare I say, the New South Wales and Queensland governments have been amazing in helping the AFL. But the players got there. Well, once they got to the, most of them got to the Gold Coast, the Saints in Noosa, a couple in New South Wales, they went, oh, this isn't actually quite so bad. Even though we're in quarantine, <laughs> the weather's quite nice. We've got a nice games room. We've got a nice pool. Can't play golf yet, but we will be able to in, you know, two weeks. We'll be able to go swimming in two weeks. Can I just say how many of them are wearing bathers and strutting around down at the surf beaches? Well, the, not the ones in quarantine because you've got to no, spend not the first two weeks. But the other ones. Well, good luck to them. I would be too. I mean, that I think that... I'm not some... going to say anything pervy anymore. Okay, I'm just going to just leave it there. No, well, some... Probably some... have a mental picture of that. Some players have got, you know, some players have got there and are feeling dreadful about their families. But others, well, for example, the Geelong players, you know, there was rumours that guys like Patrick Dangerfield and Tom Hawkins tried to get their families to Perth. Absolute balderdash. You know, their, their families aren't in lockdown because they're in the greater Geelong area. And why would they want to go to Perth and live in a room with their partner for two weeks and not be able to leave the room. At least their partner can go to team meetings, training and play a game. So what they're doing is these players are saying, please just schedule us more games, knock off as many games as we can because we'd rather play than train. Going to get some injuries, but that's just part of the deal. And I think that what the, the AFL are doing now is that they advised a lot of clubs to travel with smaller travelling groups because A, it's less expensive and B, it's less unwieldy. You don't really want tourists when you're on tour like a cricket tour, but now those clubs are going, hang on, we took your advice and we've only got a list of 32 players here. If we're going to be away for an extra two or three weeks, we need more. So the AFL have ring-fenced, Corrie. I mean, you, you, you know the Gold Coast because Dear Peg lived there for many years. They've got Southport, um, big resort there. They've got a place called the RDV, I think it's called, or the ADV, which is about a K from Metricon Stadium. Some of them They've are got staying at my favourite golf course, the Royal Pines, Pines yeah. Resort. Well, two clubs are there. 
and then there's um, the McEwa. So, and then they've got the, the another RACV in Noosa. So the NRL are going to have to might have to get out of New South Wales. The AFL have booked these places. They've got rolling contracts, which they say they can hold till Christmas. The Tigers moved into a place that was completely closed and with four days' notice. They opened up, got staff in there again. The Tigers were going to move on then once West Coast left into the Royal Pines and they said, no, look, we're just happy here in our own little hub. So it's fascinating. It's going to see some very fluctuating results and we know from your tips last week that it's going to be a tough um, a tough one to tip in. And the grand final, well, look, I think the MCG are now conceding that unless they can get 50,000, they're allowed to have a 50% capacity it no. won't be in Victoria. Well, well definitely. So, who do you think is going to win the battle there, Queensland? Well, well, or well a New week South ago, Wales? a week ago, I would have said ANZ Stadium because it seats eighty thousand people. That's the old Olympic Stadium at Homebush, but um, you know, New, New South Wales isn't looking all that good at the moment. If you could fill that stadium and, you know get a lot of money for it, which they would from that government, and sell the game in Sydney, that would be great for the AFL. But Perth and Adelaide have wonderful stadiums. It's just uh, the Gabba is um, very much in contention because the Queensland government have been fantastic. Corey might even be in Ballarat the way things are going. Seriously, who knows? Well, there's a very nice old uh, Victorian-style um well, they're playing grandstand fo- at the football. They're playing footy, and well, they play footy at Ballarat. There, the Western Bulldogs have got a two-game deal there. So, look, who knows? I think some players are really struggling, but in in the large sort of degree, to most um, areas, they've been they've been unbelievable. And thank heavens, because that's one big difference from the last lockdown. We can watch footy, which I don't know about you, but it's been good for me. Oh yeah, I, look, I have enjoyed. I mean, we we have a rule in the house: we're only going to watch the te- the, the the matches where our own teams play because you, we or you. Have a rule. Oh no! There's been well, there's been a, there was a little resistance at the beginning, Caro. But then you watch a couple of the games and you see the standard, and you think, no, nah, you don't really need to be watching that. There've been some match. great games though, and there've oh, been they some have. shockers. In fact, even though Hawthorne lost the other night, I thought it was good pace. It was a good game, Caro. I just wanted to ask you about Eddie walking off the set of your football show, Footy Classified, last week. On I think it was the Wednesday show. Yes, it was definitely the Wednesday show, Corey, because. Um, that's the one that is, the Eddie that's hosts, the, one Eddie hosts the Wednesday on. show. Yeah. So, what was all that about? And oh, look, I did think you it was provoke him to. You're a you're a harsh girl. You you can be mean to people sometimes, Caro. Poor Eddie. Look, Corrie, don't Poor be sarcastic. Ed. It was look. I think that was a culmination of a week of severe tension for Ed and his football club that had so many off-field issues, and the previous week, you know, we'd questioned him, and Matthew Lloyd had been particularly pertinent about you know, some sort of hypocrisy over the steel side bottom suspension. I think it would have been better if Ed had just done the mayor culpa on behalf of Steele and not been so doubling down on sticking up for him and sort of singling out his players as opposed to players from other clubs. I, look, I just, and I felt this for a long time. In 2010, Ed, Ed did not, he was not really a controversial, outspoken character. And I'm not saying he shouldn't be on Footy Classified, which some people, some senior footy journos were saying. They were saying he had to choose. I don't think that's right. But I just think when you are such an outspoken voice in the game, you can prove a real distraction to your footy club. And um, we demonstrated that. And I just made the point about 2010. And he said, well, if it comes down to me um, 
me talking on this show or Collingwood winning a premiership, I know what I'd choose, and he walked off. And we weren't expecting it. We didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I think everyone Matthew, was a bit... Matthew Lloyd was just in shock. <laughs> well, he came back. He, he said he'd left to get these balls, and he's got some ball theory. You don't walk off it. I'm... I'm sorry, you don't walk off a television program. Well, it panel. was it was very dramatic. It was very dramatic. But look, we're um, we're back on this week, and all is happy. Your show the... should be more serious than those stunts. I mean, leave that to the. Old it was. It wasn't show. a stunt. Well, it wasn't well, a stunt. Well, it, it was completely genuine. You've prodded and pressed him before in the past. What? And okay, so well, he's look, had a yeah, tough I think time that, lately. No, but, but it's, no it's, it's going to... to be an interesting dichotomy. You were, because... you were tough, like you were a dog with a bone with it. You know, and I'm not. Well, saying I just right wanted Ed to but... answer the question. Yeah, I understand that. Did you think he'd but... just been a distraction for his footy club? But who walks off? Who walks well, off? It's, it's happened before. It'll happen again. Oh Lord! I think... What a charade it made of that whole. You know, oh. it was a really good interview, and then that happens, and then as the viewer, you're left going, "Oh, was that?" Organised? Was that a farce? What was that? You know, was, oh god, I, was well, Caro was Caro put up to be like that, or like it just? It, it Corey, that is that is just so. That's a real misreading of the no, situation. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not saying I misread it like that. I don't think people, people. I don't. I think they'd be happier be, if I hadn't done it. Some people could be watching that and just. For me, it diminished the like you were you were asking him tough, important questions and he should have responded. And if he wanted to dodge it or not discuss, he said he could have said, I'm not commenting on that at that time and tried to shut it down. To walk off at, at walk off a television show in front well, of the cameras. Well, he collected his footies and he came back. So the thing is, it's a very different medium for both of us. I mean, Footy Classified Wednesday is really different to Footy Classified Monday. We both give as good as we get. He is in a situation where he's being scrutinised, you know, in a way, in a different way, and he's also the host of the show. So we're still getting the formula right. Who knows? Who knows how it's going to work? But I, I think the show's got, are both going pretty well. Oh, look, I... And I, I'm pretty I, proud we've managed to keep going. Well, I was going to say, Carol, hats off, because for, you know, a, a large part of the first part of this year, you've had no games to talk about, and still we've all been tuning in, and, yeah. well, I don't... I'm and and I must say, Ed, Ed, brought, Ed brings a lot to the table then, because he was in the corona cabinet, and there's things he can't say, but, you know, when he... When he clears it, he's also able to give us an insight into what's going on behind the scenes, which is fantastic. So we're, we've been bluing for 30 years. We'll keep 25 years. We're, it's going to continue. You know, that's just the way it is. But when you're at home, it's like watching mum and dad fight. Caro, can I just um, say that... Um, the, I'm not sure that we're the, like mum and dad. <laughs> the grizzly sticks thing, oh, the shop that you were mentioning, it's actually called the Gavers House. And uh, Sorry. it does have a wonderful website and it's G E W. U R Z H A U S dot com dot AU. Gaverse Huss. We're about to talk about book screen food, but I think I'm going to make that lamb shank soup again from their website. Corrie, who do you have a crush on this week? Um, my crush, Caro, is Professor Brett Sutton, who is Victoria's Chief Health Officer. I don't think I really need to explain why, but uh, I just think in the last few weeks he has just shown such resilience and so has Daniel Andrews, I might add. All we want in Victoria is knowledge and direction and we need to be told what to do because other governments around the world and other states have shown that when you, it's not one thing or the other and you're not determined about how the community should respond to this pandemic, all hell breaks loose. America, I rest my case. So 
I thought they're he, certainly I, I think doing he's jobs really, they didn't sign up for, aren't they? Really? Well, wouldn't he have expected. well he is, and he and in a recent interview he said that um, you know like while he wouldn't say that he's thriving on this because that's not quite the right term. He is finding this the biggest professional challenge of his career, which has been long and um, and incredibly impressive working around the world in public health spheres. But uh, the thing I suppose that really struck a chord with me is that when he was asked in this interview, why did you decide to take up medicine? When he was nine years old, um, living an idyllic childhood in uh, Croydon, which is one of Melbourne's outer suburbs, or it was at the time, and, uh, you know, quite beautiful and, um, you know, lots of um, land and creeks, creek beds and places for children to explore. It sounded like he had the idyllic life. Uh, his father died suddenly of a stroke uh, at home when Professor Sutton was only nine years of age and he said that this probably had the um, the kind of the, the effect, uh, as, as often it does on a child who loses a father at an early age, of determining his future path, which was to get into this sphere of public medicine and make sure, that, or public health, and make sure that um, that people such as his father didn't suffer uh, in, that, in that way. So I am a huge fan of his and keep going, Professor. I do think it's pretty disappointing that um, federal health officers are refusing to do interviews on Melbourne radio, saying they're too busy, and yet they're very happy to go on Sydney radio and Sydney breakfast shows and Sydney-based TV shows, just saying. All of all of the federal bureaucrats and politicians, Carol, are avoiding Melbourne like the plague. They don't want to be associated with anything to do with the Victorian lockdown, and it's just appalling. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. As Scott Morrison said, we are all Victorians. Um, some of the people might want Victorians part inside them surgically removed at the moment, but that's the way it no. is. Now, Can I I'm... give a quick mention, sorry, to Jenny Hocking, who was my crush about a month ago. Yes. We finally saw the release of the Whitlam Papers in the last few days, and I do think he's right. It is pretty scandalous that um, the... Queen's Private Secretary advised the Governor-General, John Kerr, about his role in this area. I think that's pretty interesting. It's a scandal that it's taken over 40 years for those papers to be released. And it, and she has been like a dog with a bone. She's been unbelievable. And it's it's just so impressive, so shocking, really, that um, – and people say he shouldn't have consulted with the Queen, that he sort of didn't tell Buckingham Palace until after he'd sacked him. Anyway, just saying. Now, Corrie, books, screen and food. Can I kick off with Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell? Please which, do. I've I've done this one on the podcast before, but let's have a greater discussion because it is, I have to say, Caro, it is a, the book clubs in the shop recently did Hamnet and I have to tell people who are looking for a good book club book and even if you're doing it via Zoom, Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell is a ripper. Themes and issues galore. Well, I now want to read more of her books and um, it, it, the, the reviews say that this is her best ever and if it is, well, I'm not surprised because it's a great read, but it starts off a tiny bit. You've started off with a feeling of dread because it's the story of, well, it's really the story of Shakespeare's wife who's called Agnes in the book. And Shakespeare is never named as Will or William. He is the son of the Glover and he's a Latin tutor who meets Agnes when he goes to tutor as part of a debt by his scoundrel of a father, um, tutor her half-brothers. But um, Hamnet was their son. He was a twin. 
with a sister called Judith. Um, they already had a daughter, Susanna. They were she became pregnant out of wedlock, according to the book, and he was Agnes, fought, not Susanna. Agnes, yes, sorry, and um, and you know from the beginning that Hamlet is going to die, and it's really interesting reading about the plague that ultimately claims his life in this time of Corona because the story of a flea. That old, I think it starts off in Spain, doesn't it? Or is no, it India? In, India in the in the silks of, and it travels. Yeah, it isn't India. I think it's sort of North Africa or something. Is it anyway? Yeah, it ends. It goes to Spain, comes to England. It's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. Um, at the same, it's basically the the story purports that, um, and it's fiction, but based on some fact of what we know about Stratford-on-Avon and this family. Um, He then, four years after the death, tragic death of his 11-year-old boy, who almost takes the place of his ailing twin sister, writes the play Hamlet. And what happens when Agnes finds out that he's done this because he's living apart from the family in London? It, you are, as Anna from the Op Shop said, and she's so right, you were in there with all the local industries, with the local farmers, with the local artisans, with the local teachers, with the Glover himself, and he's a violent, awful man, Shakespeare's father. But all the industries that existed in the 1500s in this village in England are just so beautifully captured, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, and the family tragedy. It is such a sad story. Well, at at its heart, it's a story of of a a marriage when something terribly, terribly wrong and tragic happens. And grief. What's the sustainability of that marriage? You know, can the relationship survive and thrive, or will it fall apart? And we all know that from all of our own experiences, that marriages go one way or they go the other. And I love the way that she's she's made that um, timeless theme. Of, of what ta- what it takes for a couple to be in love, I love the way that she's put it back in the seventeenth century, and sixteenth, sixteenth, oh, fifteenth, sorry, sixteenth century, and uh, and 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 just made it so contemporary. And as you said, they're following the flea journey in the time of Corona, and only last night hearing Gladys Berejiklian talk about the uh, how rife this viruses and how easy it is to transmit. It's so relevant. It's just such a great book. I love it, Cara. I just, I can't. And it's been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction, which I think will be announced in the next few weeks. Should be shortlisted for the Booker, I reckon. Yeah, I can't remember whether it is or not. I'll have to get back to you on that one. Anna, Anna recommends um, a Ken Branagh film, All Is True, as yes. a companion. Um, Judy Dench plays Agnes or Anne, Anne Hathaway. Um, and this is didn't get great reviews and it, it's sort of – it, it, it had mixed reviews, but it's interesting. It's about when the Globe Theatre burns down and he comes back to Stratford to spend his last years and Susanna and Judith are there. Of Hamnet and his death become very part of a different sort of story, but um, she reckons if you've read this book, it's really good to watch that one if you can download it. Now, um, so I loved it. I would really recommend, and I hope you've got several copies at the shop, Corrie. Lots and lots. Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Now, you've been, not only have you been relishing the new series of Vera, but you've been binge-watching Line of Duty on Netflix. So I thought we'd talk about, or we thought we'd talk about, our favourite British cop shows and why they do them so well. Midsummer Murders. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make my top five, but I did think about it. Pulling your leg on that one. Actually, you know, in the time of corona, there's nothing quite as heartening and warming as sitting down with a cup of tea or in my class, 
case another glass of red and watching an old episode of Midsummer Murders. There's a there was a we do, Brendan and I have, have a secret guilty pleasure of Poirot and um it, the one last week was on one of the one of the second channels Nine Gem or Seven Mate or something and it was set in, on Lake Como it was called Dumb Witness the dog was the dumb witness oh, the, oh I would have loved that it, you, you know how I feel you about love, animals as characters and I know how you feel about Lake Como it is so beautiful Corrie anyway so um tell me why this line of duty is so good and well, whether we sh- if we've got Netflix why we should watch it well line line of duty is um I, I'm a bit slow to the show, I have to say, with Line of Duty because it has been around for a few years on and the last couple of years on Netflix. But I, I just, um, I just think it's a really good series to immerse yourself in because it's it 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 is about a, a young um, detective, Steve Arnott, who stuffs up. He's a fireman's firearms officer, and he stuffs up uh, during the course of his daily professional life. And as a penance, instead of being stood down from this from from the police force, he is sent to work in the um, investigation investigation or police investigation into corruption of police officers. That department, whatever that department's called in the UK, and there he comes under the supervision of Superintendent Ted Hastings, who's played by the wonderful Adrian Dunbar, who you and I know from that series, Blood and Others. And he is given a buddy and they spend this each series investigating some terrible corruption or some terrible thing that's happened. Uh, in, in series two, uh, there's an episode, uh, th- it starts at the very beginning and, and it's um, um, a witness protection um, swapping from safe house to safe house that goes terribly wrong. And a couple of police men and women are killed uh, in an ambush. That's giving nothing away because it happens in the first 15 minutes. But it's then this, what happens in the episodes after that is really quite fascinating. Who knew? Who was involved? Who are the bent coppers? And just when you think you've, you know who the, prob- who the problem person is, it turns out to be somebody else. It's really great. I have to workshop with somebody the final episode because I still don't quite understand. I'm not going to say anything else about that. So if anybody's, any of my friends or anybody's seen it and can tell me what actually happened on the road in the flashback, let me know. But uh, I think it's really great, Caro. It, it, to me, it represents everything that we love about really good British cop shows. And why can't the Americans do this? It probably has something to do with the way the two countries actually structure their police forces. In the US, as we know, through this whole Black Lives Matter thing, it's a vastly different way of doing it. It seems to be more bureaucratic in government down in the UK. Well, I'll kick off my top five and then you give me yours and I bet you we have some crossovers. So number five for me is Silent Witness. I love, I oh, know, yeah, I know that's more, it's, well, not really, it's still going. Oh no, sorry, not Silent Witness. I'm thinking of Helen, the Helen Morse one. Um, Helen Mirren. Helen she's, Mirren. No, she's, she's there. That's number, that comes higher up. Silent Witness is the most, I know it's largely for forensic and I'm really sad that Harry's gone oh, and Leo's yes. gone. But that that is a wonderful, brilliantly written show. Endeavour, which is, you know, the modern, well, it's, it's a pre, pre-show of The Helen Inspector, Mirren character. No, yeah. no, 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 oh, no. Inspector sorry. Morse. What's yeah. the one I'm thinking of? The Prime Hel- Suspect. Oh, thank you. God. <laughs> Um, What's this show going to be like in 15 years when we really have dementia? So Silent Witness, then Endeavour. And in the first ever episode of Endeavour, at one stage he looks in the rear vision mirror and John Thor's Morse is sitting in the back. It is the most creepy, weird, because obviously he's no longer with us. Morse was great too, by the way. So Endeavour. 
Shetland. I absolutely love Shetland and Perez is one of the great TV cops. Got to give um, Vera. Vera comes in at number two for me. It is so brilliantly written, that series, and I think she is just a wonderful, wonderful character, and I love all of her team. And then Prime Suspect is my number one. I thought that was absolutely Helen Mirren, that was one of her great all-time roles and the way her character changed and changed. And a big apology, almost made my top five, Life on Mars, which was a cop who is transposed back into the 70s, into a corrupt sort of police station. Have you, did you ever watch Life on Mars? Oh, it was. And the David Bowie song is a the theme song. I, of thought the, you were, I thought you were going to say uh, Foyle's War. Well, I remember we were in, uh, oh, sitting yeah. up in bed in Cornwall one night, what's on telly? And you said, oh, it's a Fool's War. I haven't seen it. Oh, for- oh, I'm off to sleep. Actually, I, I should have mentioned Foyle's War. Because, I'm surprised you didn't mention it. No, no. Foyle, Foyle, well, it should be a top seven then because that is one of the most brilliantly written and historically accurate shows ever. And the corruption post-World War Two and the issues that they faced were as good as the ones they did in World War Two. And the other one, I did used to love this, Corey, and I know you did too, Heartbeat. Oh, How yeah, good loved was Heartbeat? Heartbeat? What about you? In no particular order, Caro, at all. Um, and I'm not saying this is from best to worst. This is just what I wrote down. Line of Duty, obviously, because I've just finished Series 2, and Vera because it was on the other night. I loved Broadchurch. Yes, that was fantastic. Loved Broadchurch. And I loved Cracker back in the day as well with Robbie Coltrane. I thought that was great. Um, and Shetland, I'm with you there. Uh, not just um, not just the acting, but also the scenery. And I'm a big fan of Grantchester Chronicles. Oh, Grantchester's great. I know. Yeah. I know it's a bit of an old dag. Wouldn't thing, make me top in the 1950s. five, but I love it. Well, I just love that. Um, and I don't know whether it'll be the same now. James Norton as Sydney Chambers has left as the Anglican vicar, but I do love the Geordie Keating character, um, who's the detective inspector, and I love the idea of the guy a, from Cold Feet. Yeah, yeah, I've always loved the idea of a, of a, a non sleuth or a non police person joining in the sleuth chase. And a bit like often, Father Brown. Well, oh yeah, okay. Well, what's the role of those women in his life? Well, that's the whole point. They're, they're <laughs> but just, what do they do in real life? They're well, the Greek, life, they're the Greek chorus. They're absolutely <laughs> are fantastic. They, are they housekeepers? Corey, we'd better move on. What's your recipe this week? Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this was in The Age on the weekend, and it's Neil Perry. My children now all have their own households, and if you go into their pantries and open, I mean, sure enough, there are the five cans of Serena tuna. They've learnt from their mother. So Neil Perry had this in the other day, and I'm going to just read it straight because I, I do play around with recipes, and I made mine a bit spicy. It might not be for everyone. 125, this is for four, serves four people, 125 mils extra virgin olive oil, six anchovies, I put in more because I love them, three cloves of garlic, one tablespoon of salted baby capers, I put in more, of course, half a cup of black olives, teaspoon of chili flakes, sea salt, 300 gram can of tuna in oil drained. So don't just get the good stuff, get the stuff with the oil. Uh, 400 grams of dried linguine or any pasta will do. Two but you table- are meant to strain it, aren't you? Yeah, you are. But it's, it's still oily. I yeah. know, but, you know, different to if you're on a diet, it says you, you get the one in water and it's no, just hideous. Brine, yeah, yeah, no, no good. Um, two tablespoons of rough chopped flat leaf parsley and ground pepper and one lemon. You put the um, you put the oil in the pan, obviously, and add the anchovies and garlic, and cook slowly until the anchovies start to soften in the oil. Now, Carol, don't we just love a melted anchovy in pretty much anything? Yes, um, the Robert Carrier Osobuco, oh, particularly. God, they just lift every dish. 
Add the capers, the olives, the chilli and a little bit of salt. Break up the tuna, fold it through the seasoned oil, cook for a little bit longer until the tuna breaks up. Don't overcook tuna um, out of a can. It's pretty yuck. And then you've cooked your pasta for 10 minutes or whatever. Um, Serve it al dente. Reserve a bit of the pasta cooking liquid, which is your tip from the other week. And then you just um, whiz it all together and divide it up into your bowls. Yum, yum, yum. That was Sunday night and dinner, followed by I noticed Vera. I noticed he, oh, perfect night. I noticed he said Ed, um, he does fried breadcrumbs sometimes as well. Oh, does he? I didn't yeah, sort of pick up on that He said that in the one. recipe. Anyway, great recipe. Um, Cal Island, it's as easy as just going to your supermarket and buying a can of Serena tuna. We should revisit the Andrew Seckle, our friend Andrew Seckles. Remember that beautiful spicy tuna dip he used to make? Oh, yeah. With the red peppers and yeah. the – that was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Andrew, and the pine nuts. Andrew sent it to us. Now, Carol, you're grumpy. Oh, I've so many things I could be grumpy about, but I'm giving it to you today. Well, there are three women I could be grumpy about in a very serious level, that absolute disgrace, and I can't pronounce her name, Giselaine Maxwell. who Giselaine. Who's wondering why they won't give her bail. Well, when you wrap up your – Mobile phone in tinfoil, Giselaine, what do you expect? And have five passports. Any she, relation to the German spa shop? He's, <laughs> he, he was the enabler of um, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein. He was the enabler and doesn't mean that he's not the utter disgrace that he was. And but, very good friend of HRH. Yes, so so she's one. I'm pretty disappointed that Danny Minogue was allowed to quarantine in a smart house on the Gold Coast. when. Oh, here, here. When... But I'm going to I'm going to pick on um, I'm not going to pick on Julia Gillard because I am looking forward to discussing her next week. But I was really disappointed on Q and A the other night when they asked her about her when when a, a gay woman who has since got married asked her about her stand on same sex marriage. I'm a bit sorry that Julia sort of was the politician <coughs> and avoided responsibility and sort of said, well, look, I don't think it would have got through anyway and um, started talking about her own background. And her, uh, look, it was just a really poor response. And that made me grumpy because she reverted to being the politician at a time she's made such wonderful points about being Australia's first female prime minister. So, Julia, just to wish she'd answered, that was one, I think, a bit of a stain on her legacy. And I wish that she'd been more honest about it on Q&A the other night. Just as a shout out for our next next week's podcast, you and I are going to discuss some of the themes that Julia Gillard raises in her new book about women and leadership. Interested to know what you think. I've just started reading it. Perfect. Okay, when did you last have a tantrum? Um, about three nights ago when my husband told me I had to sit down and do my tax return. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's always a bad time of the year. No offence to my accountant, Jared, who's a lovely, lovely man. I mean, he's one of the nicest gentlemen you'd ever have the pleasure to meet. But I would rather set my hair on fire than try to recreate my financial life of the past 12 months. <laughs> You're going to have to. You're going to. Well, what did you do? Did you spit the dummy and throw oh. papers in the air? Well, there were no papers. I was told to go and get them, of course. Oh, I just, I just had a tanty. I, I mean, I think you're allowed to occasionally, but it just, it was a thing that set me off. I just feel like I'm being told to do a lot of things at the moment to keep business and stuff happening, and then when it comes to your private life, get all your files organised. It's just like over the edge. What about you? When was the last time you had a tanty? Well, this is a bit embarrassing, but um, I asked Brendan. I was craving a <laughs> chicken. Notice our husbands. I know. Our husbands are part of it. I was craving a chicken pie for lunch from my favourite bakery. <laughs> and he went to that bakery and he rang and he said they're closed. I said, and I think I said, well, go to Baker's Delight or another 
place where they have nice chicken pies. He came home with a packet of mini, admittedly they were Boscastle, they weren't dud ones, mini chicken pies. I said, no, no, I wanted a chicken. He said, well, these are, look, they're beautiful. I'm putting them in the oven. A mini one. Well, that's extra pastry, not enough filling. They were, I. Caro, what's the first rule of married life? Never send your husband to the supermarket. I stormed out. You end up with four jars of pickles and no toilet paper. He said, there are no chicken pies in the area. I stormed out. I came home 10 minutes later with a chicken pie. I sat in the garden away from him and ate my chicken pie. And I was so, and looking back, I was probably a bit unreasonable, but all I wanted. So you did an eddy in your own house. The king asked the queen and the queen asked the dairymaid. All I wanted was a little bit of marmalade. No, not marmalade. No, anyway, whatever. It was marmalade. Yep. Anyway, Winnie the Pooh. Um, um, anyway. No, it was A.A. Milne yeah, who before, wrote we Winnie were very, the Pooh. before we were very young. When we were six or while we yeah. were, yeah. Anyway, I absolutely cracked it. Cracked it. You don't care about me. You don't respect me. No, I didn't say that. Eddie could have done that. Um, this week's release of the dismissal letters. Can I tell you what? If both of you have a bad night on the same night, that we Maddie Lloyd will be left sitting there. That was. Oh, it was just one of those. Looking days. at a screen, going. It was I'm sorry. actually. They've both gone. They've both stormed off. It was actually about six weeks ago. So at least I haven't had one recently. This week's release of the dismissal letters, which we just mentioned, do they change your view in any way of John Kerr? Nah. Yep, good answer. <laughs> as, as as journalist Paul Kelly said on 7.30 the other night, the crafty, calculating and cultivating attitude of St John Kerr toward the palace. What is he doing informing the palace of his options? I mean, really, was he really trying to get the Queen on board? Come on, honestly. Caro, will you be buying Julia Gillard's new book, Women and Leadership, Real Lives, Real Lessons? Look, I, look I'm, I'm not a reader of political biographies or autobiographies. I read the excerpts. I watch the interviews. I love the discussion. I go to your shop when you have wonderful interviews with them or about them. But I don't think reading, I don't think political biographies and autobiographies, unless they're severely historic, you know, more than 100 years old, really in my bag. So you're happy for me to be the canary down the coal mine on that one? Yep, that's you. What news of season five of The Crown? Season five, Olivia Coleman. Uh, steps aside and Imelda Staunton takes over. Now, some people, really? some people might say who is Imelda Staunton. Just take yourself back to the last couple of episodes. Oh, no, I love Imelda Staunton. Harry Potter. She was Dolores Jane Umbridge, that hideous principal that took over from Dumbledore. She's been a British cop too. She's been in Oh, that... she's been in so yeah. many things, Carol. More recently for me, of course, the voice of Aunt Lucy in Paddington 1 and 2. My oh, yes. I still have to year. do Paddington 2. Um, she's married to Jim Carter, actually, who played Carson on Downton Abbey. I thought you might like to know that. It covers the death of Princess Margaret and the Queen Mother and, of course, the end of all the royal marriages of the children except Edward, Prince Edward. I can't wait for that. I'm so glad. And they're actually going to do a season six as well. Wow. Now, Caro, Yusuf <clears throat> Islam the singer formerly known as Cat Stevens, is re-recording and re-releasing Tea for the Tillman, his 1970 global hit album, which I loved. Do you think this is a good idea or a bad idea by Yusuf? Well, I think as we've said in previous podcasts, you know, we used to feel sorry for the son. Now we sympathise with the father. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, look, why not? Uh, he's happy. 
He's happy in living in Dubai. He can still he has, sing, Caro. He has a new spin on, yeah, he's got a great voice. He's got a new spin on his life. I gather that um, Wild World, which people said was a little bit sexist back oh, in the day. Baby, baby, it's a beautiful it's song, one of his most beautiful songs. Is he that changes, your favourite on that album? Oh, where do the children play? Is that on that one? Mm. I think, and and I think that has become particularly resonant in um this time this time too, Corey. No, oh, good on him. I I think when you have created an utter masterpiece, and they say he never did anything as good, but I loved Catch Bullet Four, and I loved T for the Tillerman too. But that was his greatest album. Now, Corey, it's all we have time for today. Thank you, everyone. Oh, it's nice to see you. Please too. connect, comment, and give us your feedback via Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Make sure you hit the sign up button on our Facebook page to receive our weekly email updates. You can also email us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Listen up later in the week for our footy tips. Games, games are changing, but the footy still goes on. It's played every day of the week sometimes. We also have our GLT episode dropping over the weekend. Thank you, Miss Jane and Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger. The Sounding Board with Craig Hutchison and Damien Barrett. It's sport, it's the media, it's talking about the issues that matter. I know for a fact that the players Mark Rusciuto referred to publicly were furious. And I reckon, without speaking to Sam, and nor would Sam tell me, to Leon's point, the timing and time frame around Sam hitting go on that story is in direct relation to Mark Rusciuto making those comments unnecessarily about five, six weeks ago. He got in the States, Donald Trump finally agreeing to wear a mask because he had previously said it to be, in his mind, a sign of some sort of weakness. And the Republicans are supposed to not be wearing masks and the Democrats all are. And that how that became a political issue, I'll never know. Why do we think we can actually influence people? Because we can't. All of us in the media absolutely get carried away with our own non-importance. For DrinkWise, stay safe. And if you're choosing to drink, please DrinkWise. And for Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas. The Sounding Board with Hutchie and Damo. Subscribe and listen today wherever you get your podcasts.